0: Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth.
1: Reading from Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory,
0: Then one of the elders said to me, "'Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals.' Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth.'" He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom, and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of God.
2: Thank you, Kelsey and Zach, for that beautiful reading of the text. Uh, tonight, we are continuing our series in the book of Revelation, and boy, is it a powerful text as we just heard. The, the book of Revelation is a, a, a picture of what ultimate reality really is. It's like the curtain is pulled back in our world, and we get a glimpse into ultimate reality. And in that glimpse of ultimate reality, we see the world as it really is today, as well as what it will be ultimately, as history continues to unfold um, with our mighty King. Um, So this passage we just heard that was so beautifully read gives us a picture, a view from above, if you will, a a heavenly view of what is really going on, but we don't often perceive with our eyes. And so such an important passage we're going to look at tonight. Now, I have an important question that I'd like to ask you. What is your favorite donut. I mean, if you could eat any donut tonight, a nice warm donut while you're listening to me speak, what donut would you get? Um, Yeah, go ahead and take a moment. Just share among each other. What donut would you get? Maybe you would want a uh, maple bacon donut from uh, duck donuts. That's a good choice. Or maybe you just keep it with the authentic, original, Krispy Kreme donut. Just a nice glaze, warm. Okay, let me tell you what my favorite donut is. Uh, You've never had my favorite donut, likely. You may have had a, a cheap substitute, but not one like it because it comes from where I grew up, a little small town in Southern Illinois. And it was a little local place that made donuts every morning. And if you wanted a donut warm, you had to go at about 4.30 in the morning and knock on the back door. I mean, you guys, you can just like be driving down the road and see Krispy Kreme sign lit up and take a a left turn and you're there. No, we had to like stay up half the night, walk across town in the cold. I guess we could have done the summer, but Typically, it was in the cold, and I only did it a couple times, and I stayed at my friend's house because I lived too far out. Anyways, go knock on the door, and they had it there. It was the jelly donut. Have you ever had a jelly donut? It, it's, this, it's this donut with no hole in the middle. You get your money's worth. I don't know. Anyways, that's a whole other story. It didn't have a hole in And what they do is they have this little donut envelope of of strawberry jelly surprise that is waiting for you never know what bite you're going to hit it but when you bite into that it's the coolness of the jelly the the sweetness of the donut and maybe the warmth if you got it when it's, it is so good the jelly donut why do i share that well frankly because i love my jelly donut but also i share it because what is at the center of that donut is what matters. Okay. Another quick one. Um, Do you prefer a, and by the way, I understand the irony that it's about what's at the center of the donut that matters because most donuts don't even have a center. But anyways, the point is, is that it's about the center that matters. Okay. Another quick question. Do you prefer a Tootsie Pop or a Grown up, what would you choose? Would you choose a Tootsie Pop or a Blow Pop? Any, any, any Tootsie Pops out there? Any Tootsie Pops? Okay, a little bit of love for the Tootsie Pop. How about Blow Pop, people? I'm to- I'm both hands on the Blow Pop. Okay, I'm all about the Blow Pop. It- well, why? Well, why would you choose a Blow Pop or a Tootsie? Because it's better. Because the center, right? I mean, obviously because it's better. But because the center has gum in it. I mean, who wants a, a, a Tootsie rodent on when you can be gnawing on some beautiful gum with a nice crispy bit of candy on the outside. Okay. The point is, it's what's in the center that matters. The fact is, is this, it has been a long year so far, hasn't it? In fact, I mean, I I, uh, read some studies today about that the CDC came out about how people are struggling during this time. 74% of 18 to 24 year olds say in the survey the CDC said, or did, said that they have struggled with mental health or substance abuse this year, 74%. And as I read that today, I thought, wow, it it is time for us to get a fresh vision of what is truly the center of reality. Because what is at the center matters. And what we're going to look at today, and what we've already heard read, is, is we get a glimpse of what is truly at the center that has such life-altering impacts in our life. And so what we're going to do is this. We're going to uh, answer a couple of questions. What is at the center? We're going to look at that. Secondly, we're going to look at what is whatever is at the center. What is it like? And then third, what are the implications of that center in our own life? So that's where we're going to go tonight. So as Zach and Kelsey read the text and Zach in chapter 4, he, he read about how John was, saw a door open into heaven and he was called up into, the, into heaven so he could get a glimpse of what is ultimate reality right now in heaven. And the picture, the very first thing that he saw is he saw a throne. Now, the word throne is actually probably the guiding word through the two, two chapters that we um, are talking about tonight. It's mentioned 17 times in two chapters. What is a throne? I mean, well, you guys know what a throne is, is, but what does it represent? It represents rulership and authority. And so he sees this throne. This throne is not off to the side in, in heaven when he, when he gets a glimpse. In fact, the, the throne is at the very center. And so then the question becomes, well, who is on the throne? Well, first of all, before I answer who is on the throne, it, it it doesn't actually answer the correct question right away in the text. What it actually says is, but there was someone on the throne. The first thing it tells you is that the throne is not empty. How many times in, in life does life feel chaotic and things are feel like they're spinning out of control and you wonder if the throne is empty? And the first thing we find out is the throne isn't empty. Well, then who's on the throne? Well, let me tell you who's not on the throne, okay? If you were in Rome, you would have been... Um, through propaganda and through everywhere you look, you had, been, had embedded in your mind that surely the emperor is the one who's on the ultimate throne. Surely he has all authority and all power. Well, guess what? The emperor is not on the throne. And what good news that was to the original hearers of this. In fact, let me say this, there's no political power that is on the throne. Let me tell you who else is not on the throne. Putin of Russia is not on the throne. Angela Merkel of Germany is not on the throne. Erdogan of Turkey is not on the throne. Uh, Xi Jinping of China is not on the throne. Donald Trump is not on the throne. There is no political power that is on the throne. There's no political power, no matter how dominant they seem, no matter how powerful they, they, they feel, that is on the throne. So who is on the throne? Well, let me tell you who else is not on the throne. Or what else is not on the throne? A virus is not on the throne. Isn't that good news? A virus is not on the throne. And the things that we tend to make idols are not is not on the throne. You don't see a, a pile of gold on the throne. You don't see a crowd of followers on the throne. You don't see, a, what else? You don't see beauty on the throne. You don't see pleasure on the throne. So who is on the throne? Well, let me tell you one One more person who's not on the throne, you're not on the throne (laughs) and I am not on the throne. In fact, isn't it that the the, uh, temptation of of humanity to put ourselves on the throne, to want to put ourselves in the center of things? And Richard Baucom, a a great New Testament scholar, uh, has a, a wonderful quote. He says this, he says, humanity's it is radically displaced from the center of things where hu- human beings naturally tend to place themselves. The, the picture is not a anthropocentric picture of reality. It is a theocentric picture of reality. God is the one who's on the throne. God is the one who's in the center. He's the one that it's all about. And we are pushed to the peripheral. So what is he like we find out that the Lord God Almighty is on the throne. What is he like? Well, we get some pictures of what he's surrounded by. The first thing we see is, is that he's surrounded by a rainbow. We get these, these beautiful, glorious pictures of, of light shining around him. It says there's a rainbow that encircles him. Why is that significant? Well, if, if you grew up going to Sunday school at all or have read the first book of the Bible, there's a story about Noah in a flood. And at, after the flood, after God brings judgment on the world, he says this. He says, I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. And he says, and the symbol of my promise is a rainbow. And so what we're quickly reminded of is the mercy and faithfulness of the one who's on the throne. He's surrounded by the, by the symbol of his covenant of mercy and faithfulness to humanity. And then what's the next thing we see? The next thing we see is that there's a sea in front of him. And how does it describe the sea? It says that the sea is uh, it's a sea of glass, as clear as crystal. Okay, here's what you need to know. In the ancient Near East, the sea was a chaotic force and a, a place that was seen to be evil and, and chaotic and mysterious and something that was feared. And so when we get this picture of the sea in front of the throne of God as what clear as crystal it's a picture that in the throne room of God, it's not chaotic. In the throne room of, of God, it is tranquil. It is clear. Things are not spinning out of control. There is no chaos. He's tamed the chaos. He is sovereign over it. It is clear as crystal. And so we see this one surrounded by tranquility. He's not wringing his hands today. The sea is crystal clear. And then we find these creatures that are around the throne. There's these 24 elders and you're like, who are these 24 elders? But these are most likely, if you will, angelic beings that are like the cabinet of the Lord God Almighty. They're like his ruling cabinet sitting on 24 thrones. They're, they're royalty themselves. They have crowns. They have smaller thrones and they are there to serve almighty God. And and then inside of them are these four living creatures that are some really glorious beings. They have four different, each of them has a different face. One of them has the face of of a lion, which was seen as the most, um, the strongest of the beasts of the field, if you will. Then one of them is an ox, which was seen as the strongest domesticated animal. Then one of them is a human, which is understood to be the wisest, of all of God's creation. And then finally, an eagle, which was the, the the strongest of all the flying animals. And so it's like the these these creatures that are around the throne as they encircle the throne, represent the whole created order. And then it says they're covered with eyes. And I was thinking about this. This is just my the way my mind works, so humor me for a second. I was thinking like, maybe this is the picture of like the iPhone 77 version or something? You know, like, I mean, eventually the iPhone's just going to be covered with eyes of lenses and everything. And why do they have all these eyes? The reason why they have all these eyes is because they're so attentive to God and His glory. And what are they saying? It says this, that they are, as they surround the throne, they're saying holy, holy, holy. Why are they saying it so much? Well, In uh, the original language, there wasn't a way to emphasize something by saying, oh, uh, like we have good, better, best to emphasize something. The way you would emphasize something in that day is you'd repeat it. And the way you'd give it the ultimate emphasis is you'd repeat it three times. So when he says, holy, 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 he's saying, this is as holy as it comes, as holy as it gets. Well, what does holy mean? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Here's what it means. It means unique. That, there is no, that these, these creatures are sitting around the throne of God and, and, and as glorious as they are, they're saying, you are holy, you are unique, there's no one like you. There's nothing else in all of creation like you. And they're declaring not only his uniqueness, but also his purity. He's excellent and perfect in every way. And they're saying he is unique and he is pure and he is perfect and he is unmatched in his glory. And so what we get is a picture of the character of God. And he is holy, holy, holy. That's who's at the center. And then we get a picture of not just his character, but we get a picture of his capacity. What's his name? Lord God Almighty. His capacity is he is almighty. Earlier in the chapter, there's this subtle detail that we may miss about his throne room. It says that that there are flashes of lightning, there are rumbles and peals of thunder. Now, this is, um, if you go back to when the 10 commandments were given, the same description that was given of when God's presence came then. I grew up in Southern Illinois, like I mentioned, and Southern Illinois has two rivers that kind of come uh, to, to, to meet. And so what that means is this, there is a lot of humidity in Southern Illinois. Um, but here, here's something else it means, is we know a good thunderstorm. I remember being on the baseball field. and I've been waiting all day for the, for the baseball game. And all of a sudden, in, you see this really dark, ominous cloud rolling in. And you start to hear the, the, the heavens rumble. You can just hear it coming. And then you'll start to see the, 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 the sky flash a little bit. And you're thinking, oh no, this game's not going to happen. It keeps coming in. And then all of a sudden, a, a, a strike of lightning. You know, it just it jolts you. And then a, a peal of thunder. I mean, just jarring. The earth shakes. That is the picture we get around a storm. What is the, that picture? In that day, that was the most power they could, they could imagine was, was a, a massive storm. And it's the picture of this, that the, it's the imagery that the power of God that emanates from his throne. So what do we get? We get these images of his greatness, of his glory, and of his majesty. Here's what we get. That his, compa- his capacity is almighty. His character is holy. His majesty is radiant. His glory is unmatched. And his faithfulness is sure. That's the God that we serve. In fact, Daryl Johnson sums it up so beautifully. He says this. His throne is pulsating with brilliance, light, and life, and glory, infinitely calm, and absolutely powerful. That is his throne. That is who he is. That is your God. Whew. Well then, <laughs> we're just getting started on this one, right? I'm not just getting started on my message, but follow me here. Chapter 5 comes, and this one who's pulsating with glory holds a scroll. And one of the of the angels says, "Who is worthy to open the scroll?" And it says that no one was found that was worthy to open the scroll and at that at that news, John begins to weep. not any of the twenty four elders, not the living creatures, no one in heaven, no one on earth was worthy to open the scroll, and he begins to weep, and why is he weeping he isn't weeping because he's like, Oh, I won't find out what's on the scroll no." That's not why he's weeping. He's weeping because what is on the scroll won't be able to be realized. See, what's on the scroll is God's plans to rectify the brokenness of the world and make things right. What's on the scroll is God's plan to establish his kingdom on the earth and it's sealed with seven seals. And, and here's the picture, that it would be as the seals were broken and the scroll is open that the plan starts to unfold. See, there's a Roman emperor who had a will in that day that had seven seals on these little wax seals that, and it was as those seals would be slit that that will would start to be actualized. It would go into probate. It'd be, it'd be lived out at that point. It'd be in effect and so who is worthy to open and put God's plan into effect? And there's no one. And so he longs for the day where, where salvation would be established on the earth and where there would be, uh, God would rectify the, the brokenness of the world. He longs for this day and so he weeps. And then one of the 24 elders comes up and says, oh, you don't need to weep. There was a lion of the tribe of Judah, one from the root of David, which is Old Testament fulfillment of the, of the one who would open the scroll one day. This lion, it says, was triumphant. And so John dares to turn around to see this lion. And he probably expects as he sees this lion in this This glorious surrounding that he's in that when he turns around to see the lion, he'll get a description of the roar of the lion or the the ferociousness and the strength of his claws. And when he turns, it's not a lion. It's a lamb. A little lamb. And not just a lamb, but a lamb that looked like it had been slain. And this, my friends, is a shocking reversal. How will God bring about? his salvation of establishing his kingdom on the earth? And how will he bring, rectify the brokenness of the world and and what is wrong in the world and bring judgment into the world to make things right? How will he do it? How will he establish it? He will establish it through the lamb. And we see that his victory comes through the, the, the lamb that looks like it literally had been slaughtered. And that is how God will show history. That is how God will make things right. That is how God will establish his kingdom. Whew. Wow. And it says that because of the lamb, that he would purchase people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And we see in this picture that God's kingdom is global. God's kingdom is diverse and that his victory, it it speaks of four because four is the number of creation throughout. So every tongue, tribe, nation, and people that everyone will be impacted. This will be a global impact. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people by the victory of the slain lamb. Well, when, so here's what we find out about the one who's at the center, we find out that he's not just one whose capacity is almighty and whose character is holy and whose uh, majesty is radiant and whose glory is unmatched, but we also find out he's one whose love is sacrificial. And at the heart of the universe, at the heart of ultimate reality, is a heart that beats with sacrificial love. That's what we learn about the sinner and at that reality what happens it is like there is there are three explosions of worship that start to happen around john as he as he gets a picture of heaven first of all the 24 elders and the and and the four living beings it says that they fall on their face before uh, before god and the lamb and they take off their crowns and they put them out because they know whatever greatness they have it is derived from the one who's truly great and it says they get their harps. And okay, you probably think of like a harp, like you know, some picture you saw on so, you know, some precious moment thing or something, right? That is not what the picture of the ancient harp was. The picture of the ancient harp was, was an instrument of joy. So I was thinking about it. I, it was probably more like our equivalent to an electric synth today. You know, like when the party's getting gone and you start, nah, nah, nah. Okay, I'm not going to, you know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, let's get this part. They're celebrating. Or maybe they get out the banjo and it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's ready to have a... You know, well, let's celebrate this thing. You know, D.A. Carson, that's what he said. He's like, yeah, I think it's like a banjo or something. You know, the point is, is this whatever it is, whatever music you say, it's celebration going on in heaven. And they're celebrating. And then John looks at a next concentric circle, and there's another celebration that's erupted. And what does he see? He sees angels, thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, myriads. In other words, uncountable angels surrounding the throne. And now they are singing. And, and what are they singing? They're singing about the worthiness of the Lamb. And they give seven descriptors. Worthy are you to receive power. Worthy are you to receive strength and glory and honor and wisdom. And basically this. Why seven? Because seven is the number of completeness in Revelation. In other words, he's worthy of all that you are. He's worthy of all that you have. He's worthy of all that you can get. He is worthy of it all. And that's what the angels are declaring around. And then there's... Okay, so... So now John has zoomed out from the 24 and the four living creatures. He's looking at the angels and then he zooms out another concentric circle. And what does it say? It says all cre- all the creatures and all of creation from heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea are now all declaring the glory of God. Wow. And as, as they're declaring the glory of God, so the toad is croaking for the glory of God. The birds are singing for the glory of God. I mean, the, the, the lion is roaring for the glory of God. All of creation. And then it zooms back in on the 24 elders, and, and they're like, yeah! They're like, amen! You know, they're, they're celebrating everybody else's celebration of the Lamb. And it says this that they worshiped the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. As I close, let me just talk to you how we respond to this. How do we respond to this powerful, life-altering vision of reality? This is reality. This is to refurbish our minds as we walk through this fallen world of what is ultimately true now and what is coming in the present. What do we do? Number one is we align our lives with reality This is the ultimate center of reality. And so I have a question for you. Who or what is at the center of your life? I mean, honestly, are you in a line with ultimate reality? See, the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter one, it says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, you have to have God in his right spot if you're going to live a wise life. If you're going to live um, with the grain of reality, God has to be in his right place, and his right place is in the center. So I have a question Who is at the center of your life tonight? What is at the center? Is it a person? Are you at the center of your own universe? Is it an idol? Maybe something that is a good thing in your life, but you've made it an ultimate thing and it needs to go back to its proper place and God needs to take his proper place at the center of your life. The question I have is, will you make him the center tonight? The second thing that we do is we enter the worship circle. I love the fact that we are worshiping in a circle this semester because it's a picture of, what, of, this, of this throne room that are encircling the, the throne of, of God and the Lamb in worship. And we are given this passage so that we will enter into worship, so that we will enter into what all of creation knows and that it's that God and the Lamb are worthy of, of, of our Everything. And so, will you follow the example of the elders who, three times, I don't know if you notice this, it's like every time we see the elders, they're falling down again and they're throwing their crowns down again. Will you fall before him in humility and in submission and adoration of the king, the one who is worthy? And will you center your life around living for his glory? And then finally, what do we do in response to this? We trust the one who's at the center. There's a lot in our lives that can be very difficult. And we face many challenges this year in a multitude of ways. And the truth is, the people that Revelation was originally written to face many challenges as well. And this vision of ultimate reality, who is at the center, was calling them to trust the one who, who the sea in front of him is not chaotic at all. It, it's not. It's tamed, and it's tranquil. Trust him, the one who's not wringing his hands, the one who's circled by the by a rainbow that that reminds us of his mercy and his faithfulness, the one whose power is almighty, whose character is holy, and who is full of sacrificial love for his creatures and his people. I want to encourage you, whatever you are facing tonight, I hope this image of the throne room of God will be embedded into your heart and you can know that you can trust him can I be honest? There are times in my, lives, in my life where because of maybe moments where I just feel a little disoriented and the circumstances feel overwhelming, that my view of the, this picture of these chapters of, of the glory and the power and the majesty and the capacity and the character of God starts to fade. Tonight, I want to encourage us as we respond to God's word. Will you renew your trust in the center? This one whose capacity is almighty, whose character is holy, whose majesty is radiant, whose glory is unmatched, whose faithfulness is sure, and whose love is sacrificial. Let's place our trust tonight in him. Amen. Well, let's stand. God, as we close tonight, as we worship tonight, will you embed this picture deep into our hearts? Will you refurbish our minds with a fresh imagination of what is ultimately real, but we so often miss of your glory, your goodness, and your greatness? In Jesus' name, he is worthy of it all. Wow. Well, it has been great to be together tonight and I would like to pronounce the benediction over us as we close. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you and may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Lamb. Amen. Man, God bless you. Have a wonderful week following Jesus. We'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Kai Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website x a a t
2: u v a dot